there's uh, many other ways, of course, you know, like going to church <laughs> every week. That helps a lot. I know for myself and my, and my kids, being in a church where the children are included in the service, that helps a lot because uh, it's so much better when they're included, when they learn that we're all one family, when they learn to talk to anybody, not just their own peers, but to older people and generations. And then, yes, church history helps because then you see the church as a family that continued together throughout history and how God preserved it no matter what, in spite of all the mistakes and everything. Yeah, I think both of these things help. Welcome to Homeschool Conversations with Humility and Doxology, a series of interviews with real-life homeschool moms, dads, and other educators on all sorts of topics that affect our lives as homeschool parents. I'm Amy Sloan, a second-generation homeschool mom of five, and I am so delighted that you are here. Here on Homeschool Conversations, we'll discuss educational philosophy, family life, and more. Come chat with us. Hello, everyone. Today, I am so excited to be joined by Simonetta Carr, who was born in Italy and has lived and worked in many different cultures. She worked for a while as an elementary school teacher and then taught her own eight children for many years. Besides writing books, which I think our family probably owns at least a dozen of them, she has contributed to newspapers and magazines and has translated the works of several authors from English into Italian. So sort of, I guess, like a reverse Dorothy Sayers. <laughs> Presently, she lives in San Diego with her husband, Thomas, and their daughter. So thank you for chatting with us today. If you want to just, I know I read your bio, but if you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and your family, I would love to hear. Um, well, what you said. And um, so I was born in Italy. I, I lived there for... Yeah, I left Italy in, uh, I think it was 76, 1976, I think, <laughs> a long time ago. And my husband is American. So first we traveled around a bit. That's why it says uh, I lived in different cultures. Um, my husband was teaching English as a second language, and it was a way for us to travel too. Um, so we, we lived in different countries and I had kids a little bit everywhere. <laughs> and we came to America in 1996 and then we, we stayed and we live in San Diego, as it says there. My kids are all grown up. <laughs> Even my daughter is, uh, I only have one daughter. Uh, she's the last one and she's with us, but um, she's 22, so... She's grown up too. So, and then that's it. Uh, I've been, I started to write around, what was it? It was around 2008, I think. I started to write books. Um, it was for um, Calvin's 500th anniversary. <laughs> so I think that was, uh, the book came out in 2009, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, I might be. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, like trying to remember the birth dates of all your children. I get them mixed I know, up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, one of the reasons why I really wanted to chat with you is because mm -hmm. um, church history is something that's very important in my family. We love to read the stories of uh, of our our church family of of the past to our children, and I wanted to kind of talk to you since you've invested so much time in writing about church history. Why do you think it's important for children to learn church history, and what can they and we learn? by reading the biographies of men and women of the faith? Well, I think first thing is, I, I don't think um, church history is emphasized enough in, uh, in our churches. So that's probably one reason. It's I think we need to know <laughs> the history of, of, as you said, our family, because uh, 
in reality it's it's our family from the start but then also uh, to understand why we believe what we believe right now because true but many things have been uh, developed throughout the centuries it depends on you know in on the emphasis that the each century gave on different uh, doctrines so we can learn a lot and you know otherwise we end up like they say to reinvent the wheel <laughs> if we don't learn from our past and uh, and myself i i don't think i knew much about church history before um when i again i don't remember when but at, at one point in our church there was an intern who started to teach church history for bible uh, studies and uh, i it was the first time i, I learned a lot of uh, things that i never heard before and and I was thinking, why don't we teach this to our children? <laughs> and I was teaching, I was almost 20 at the time, and I was pretty much using the, the curriculum where history is the priority. You know, you take history and you develop everything else around it. And, and so I was teaching them about history and uh, including the history of science and art, you know, trying to include everything in the curriculum. And I didn't have anything for theology, you know, not just his, not just church history, but like really theology, our, our thoughts, you know, like how did the doctrines develop throughout the centuries. And so I started to do that with my kids. And then I got the idea of starting to write books because I didn't find them in the library. I didn't find the books I wanted. And I think a lot of books are born this way. When you don't find what you want, then you try to do it. And, and um, actually, originally, I wanted this intern to write the books. <laughs> and then when he didn't do it, then I did. <laughs> and, yeah. I don't know if I answered your question. Maybe I answered some other questions. Yeah, no, that, that's perfect. Yeah, I was just thinking about how church history, you know, reminds us where we came from. and it, But it also um, kind of is guardrails, right? So because not, yeah. there's no new error. Um, chances are, if you think you've come up with some new idea, <laughs> it was already dealt with at a church council, right, right. you know, um, and even our, our young children can get excited about the stories when, when we're yes. talking about biographies, cause they're like people, right. They realize mm -hmm. this isn't right. just something that is like, right. not that systematic theology is boring because it mm -hmm. isn't either, but for a child <laughs> to connect with, it's not just a list yes, of ideas. Yes. These are real right. people. I remember when my daughter was very, very little, um, we had been reading some of your, your biographies for children. And um, we had like a bunch of people coming over for a meal. Like I was probably running around frantic trying to prepare. And Emma was like, well, it's not like Lady Jane Grey. We still don't have as many people as she had to take care of in her house. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, sometimes they're, they're picking up even when we yeah. don't realize it. Yeah. Well, as we read these stories mm -hmm. to our children, you know, we're we're dealing with fallen men and women, right? Because they are human, like we are, mm -hmm. saved by grace, just like we are. Um, and so how can we encourage our children to admire and look up to and learn from these heroes of the faith while also dealing with their foibles and their weaknesses and their blind spots? Mm -hmm. Well, I think one way is just not to hide them <laughs> because I this is something I've seen in biographies in the past, especially for children, but surely for everybody too. <laughs> there has been a tendency in the past to um, to gloss over all the mistakes and just to emphasize what's good, which I understand, you know, to an extent. But if you do that all the time, then eventually children will find out 
some of these mistakes and they'll say you, you didn't tell me the truth and then also i think it kind of gives a um uh, unrealistic expectations for our own lives because we, we can't be faultless so oh how come all these people in the past are so good and i just can't be that way um so it's it's both uh, uh comforting actually to, to know the other people had went through the same uh, struggles and had uh, some similar sins and, and and had to fight against them um and also it's it's more realistic and helps children to see yes uh, you know there's the good and the bad and uh, uh, and they understand that we're speaking honestly to them yeah these people aren't jesus right no <laughs> and right. is scripture itself you know you think about the great heroes of the old testament you know scripture yeah. doesn't shy away from no. <laughs> telling us the good and the bad That's true. so and that kind of leads to my the next part of my question you know it can be a danger when we're reading the bible to take these stories about men and women and turn them into just sort of moral tales mm -hmm. i could see that being you know a potential downside or danger um as we're we're studying church history with our kids mm -hmm. so how can we really keep christ as the center of our church history studies well I, if, as you said it's related to the other question because if you are honest about these people and you show you know they did this which was really good and then <laughs> You know in this area they didn't do so well um then you just explain how whatever they did that it was it, it was god that, that uh, allowed it just in like it is in our lives when we do anything good <laughs> we can just thank god for it and, and the children can understand that i think yeah it's the same when you read bible stories yeah Mm -hmm. Oh, God could use Balaam's donkey. He can use me too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, besides reading books about church history, what are some other ways we can encourage a love of the church, both the church in the past, you know, the church in the present and the church in the future? Uh, what, how can we encourage this love of the church in our children? I think it's church history is a good way to do that um there's a many other ways of course you know like going to church <laughs> every week that helps a lot because they, and and i don't know I, I don't know who your audience is and but i know for myself and my and my kids um being in a church where the children are included in the service that helps a lot because uh, for a while we went to a church where they were divided for um, adults went to the actual service and then the children had their own groups and uh, it's so much better when they're included when they learn that we're all one family when they learn to to um, talk to anybody not just their own peers but to older people and generations and then yes church history helps because then you see the church as a family that continued together throughout history and how god preserved it no matter what in spite of all the mistakes and everything um yeah i think both of these things help I love hearing all the noises and the cries <laughs> and the parents saying, be quiet, sit still. <laughs> That's such a joy to me because yeah. it is, it's like we are, we are one body and to have the but, children in, in the worship that they know this belongs to them. It's the same God, yes. the same savior. It's what a precious gift. Yeah. Yes. Well, I would love to hear a little bit about what it's like being an author this is very fascinating <laughs> so you know how do you how do you choose us i'll just start with this question how do you choose who you're going to write about next right well as i said it started 
unexpectedly because I was writing here and there, like as you said in the, the little bio, I uh, was writing articles, I did translations even before. Um, I always like to write, but I never thought I would write a book. <laughs> and then when this intern would write the book I wanted <laughs> and I, I sent the proposal to a few publishers, I didn't expect much. And every time I, I received a no, it was like, oh yeah, of course. But then one person said yes. <laughs> and <laughs> I know. And it was the perfect publisher because um, um, I'm still with them and they're, they're wonderful. And they turned my books into something I never expected because I, I'm, I just wrote the text basically and they turned into this amazing thing that I, now I have to keep up with the standards. <laughs> I have to find, well, I normally find the pictures and the, I direct the illustrator, and, but I'm really happy that the books turned out really well. It's scary too. I'm actually writing, I've been writing for a long time, a book on the whole of church history. I normally don't say this. I think you're probably the first person I'm telling publicly because it's so scary. I'm sure it's not, it has a lot of mistakes, but you know, I, I try my best. I, I, again, I saw a need for it and I, I studied and I got a lot of experts to read it and I'm sure there will still be mistakes. I was thinking the publisher can have a few blank pages at the end so the kids can write their corrections, but at least it's a start. Uh, so it's scary in that sense, but it's good. It's good to see the children like it. And I, I've always been surprised when children like my books. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I remember an in, uh, they've been translated in Indonesian too. And somebody told me in Indonesia, they're selling so well. And I didn't understand why, and they don't understand it either because they said that they don't have all these cartoonish pictures that a publisher would think children would like, but then they like them anyway. So, mm -hmm. and so it's like that. It's just uh, for me, it's not my life has not changed. I just <laughs> I do I write, and and I'm surprised the. People like the books, but I'm happy because of the message of, of what the books are trying to say. How I decide, um, well, the publisher gave me such a long list that I told them, well, you know, I'm going to be like in my 90s <laughs> writing books the way they're, uh, what they're expecting from me. But, um, I try to keep to my original vision of sticking with theologians as much as possible because I'm taking this um, chance to explain, like you were saying, to explain doctrines to the children, you know, foundational doctrines. But if, if you notice, they're like, probably that they maybe in one page in the whole book, there's a doctrine and it's, pretty condensed and I, I spent more time probably trying to see how to work that part and the, all the rest but the rest is just to help them understand that you know these doctrines that we believe they didn't just pop out of nowhere or it's not people like people sat down some people have that picture that, that image in mind of bunch of old men sitting at a meeting and saying, okay, we're going to believe this. <laughs> and, and that's not how things work in church history. So if you have a biography, books that allow me to bring up some, uh, some of our doctrines. Yeah. And so then once you have 
picked the person you're going to write about, what's the process for researching and gathering sources, I guess? Yeah, uh, I picked a, I pick a person, I, I asked the publisher <laughs> to confirm, um, and they usually say yes, sometimes we discuss it a bit, because they're also concerned about um, sales. <laughs> so if I, if I mention somebody who's completely unknown, they say, okay, can you sandwich it between two famous people? I say, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> Um, and then uh, I, well, usually once I propose somebody, I have researched because then I'm convinced that they would be a good person to include. And then I start buying a bunch of books and uh, learning more about that person. And normally I just write one draft fairly quickly after I know all the facts um, and then I revise it throughout time and then I send it to different people to check and um, and then I have to find photos and then I have to talk to the illustrator so it's a lot of work even just the illustrations because I I might give him I give him some ideas you know maybe this picture this picture and then he starts asking questions like well what were they wearing or what the, um, what was the, <laughs> where were the buildings like in, at a particular time, I don't know. So sometimes <laughs> we do the research together. Sometimes he researches too, but um, I do some research too. And, and it's kind of funny. Sometimes I contact experts and I ask them all these crazy questions and they say, I don't know either. <laughs> Nobody has ever asked those questions. Uh, yeah, it's, it's fun. It does sound fun, especially the buying lots of books part. I, I would be yeah. really good at that part. <laughs> no, you should see how many I bought for the church history book. I can't even imagine how fun. <laughs> well, you, you are gathering and working so hard getting all of this information, all these details, but then you're, you're having to figure out what you're going to include and what you're going to leave out because yeah. obviously you're writing a book for children at the end of right. the day, not the, yeah. you know, great work on a particular author, <laughs> you know, with all the information. So how do you choose what information to put in and what to leave out? Well, for biographies, I try to make the biography simple for children. So um, I am, I also, you know, besides trying to make it interesting, I, I'm concerned that the children will actually like it and not get bored halfway through. <laughs> so yeah, I try to do that. And like I said, the, the doctrinal part, I, I choose one thing that I want to emphasize for each author. And then when I talk about that, I talk about it in context. You know, this happened and it made them think and then uh, this is how he came up with that. Um, and I do it as concisely as possible so that, um, that then the, you know, the story goes on and the children don't get lost in that. But hopefully they get it, you know, that one small, small part. Yeah. And it depends, you know, there are some authors, some, uh, some of the authors I wrote about that, um, that you have volumes and volumes and volumes of books. I wrote one about Spurgeon, for example. I mean, I could read about Spurgeon for a lifetime. There's so much stuff out there <laughs> by him and, and about him. Um, and then there are some that you don't know anything about. I wrote a book about, um, who was it? Irenaeus, and I really wanted to write it. Uh, even my publisher said, how are you gonna find anything about him? Because we know what he said. We, we have one book written by him, which is awesome. <laughs> and I recommend it, but, um, but nothing else. But I really wanted to write about him because he, his book, 
against the Gnostics or against Gnosticism, I shouldn't say against the Gnostics. He, he, he actually loved them. He said he loved them more than they loved themselves. Um, but yeah, against the Gnosticism, we still have Gnosticism around us. <laughs> so that's why I wanted to write. But I didn't know anything and there's nothing about it. We don't know anything. We don't even know when he was born or when he died. Uh, we know a few things. He studied under Polycarp and he went to Rome and then he went to Lyon and he, he was a pastor there for a while. He wrote the book. That's it. <laughs> So anyway, if you get that book, I think it has, it still has 64 pages like every other book. So you can understand what, what I did for that book. I, I really had to come up with a lot of other stuff to include. <laughs> I think that was actually when my, my husband was reading aloud a few Sundays ago to my little guy. So I'll have to okay. go and look at it more closely. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, look at the timeline. It's like this long. <laughs> and the rest, we just don't know. <laughs> well, it's better to say we don't know than to make stuff up, right? <laughs> right, yeah. Now let's hear from podcast sponsor and Sloan family favorite, Mr. D himself from Mr. D Math. Does your child love math, surpassing your ability to teach them? Or maybe you have a child struggling in math and you're looking for a solution that will help them finally get it. You want your teen to understand, love, and enjoy their math curriculum. Is that too much to ask? At Mr. D Math, we've got you covered. Many times a young person says they hate math simply because it hasn't been explained in a way that makes sense to them. At Mr. D Math, our teachers are dedicated to providing accessible support, instructing with clarity, and making math fun. We work with students from around the world, helping connect educational concepts to their everyday lives and exposing them to endless possibilities and potential for their futures. Head to MrDMath.com to check out our live and self-paced course options for math, life skills, test prep, and more. We even have courses to get your child ready for high school math or help them catch up or get ahead in a semester or less. Go to MrDMath.com or click the link in the show notes to see how Mr. D Math can bring clarity and joy to your homeschool. thinking history was boring as you fell asleep over dry textbooks and meaningless bits of information? Have you been hearing that your children are supposed to memorize large chunks of history dates, fill out extensive timelines, or complete stacks of worksheets to prove they've really learned their history facts? Well, I'm here to tell you that it does not have to be that way in your homeschool. Homeschool history can be fun. It's not just dates and dead people. You can craft your own customized textbook-free history plan to use with many ages in a simple, fun, joyful way in your homeschool. And I have a textbook-free history masterclass to show you how. It's a 45-minute video masterclass and a 12-page e-booklet, plus I have lots of links to other resources that you may find helpful, and I share a lot of my own personal stories as a second-generation homeschool mom of five. So head over to humilityanddoxology.com shop and check out the textbook free history masterclass. And as a podcast listener, use code PODCAST for $5 off. Well, from the time when you sort of have picked your topic and have written your draft, you've done your research, you've revised until we actually can get the book in our hand. Mm -hmm. What is there sort of an average length of time that that takes? Or um, I'm not sure. There is an average, but I didn't really think about the. Um, there's just a few months, I think. Uh, a year at the most, um, I don't really remember. They go for pretty fast, um, Reformation Heritage, uh, compared to other publishers they do. So, yeah, I send it, then we have an editor that reads it. Um, I think a few people read it. And then uh, she makes some... Uh, 
suggestions sent them back to me i send it back to her usually that part doesn't take very long i mean it's a short book that these are short books you know so and then that's it and then they they have to do the typesetting and send it to the printers it's not uh, i think the longest part is writing and finding photos and and working with illustrator but yeah, yeah. It's, it's fun yeah. so you mentioned that you're working on a, an overview of church history are there any <laughs> other books that you're working on right now yeah because that one <sighs> I've probably been working on it for about five years. I don't know, it feels like I've been working on it for 20 years, so yeah. <laughs> That's a big topic. It's been a big, yeah, a big job and hopefully it came out okay. Um, but yeah, that, that they really want to publish it next year. They actually wanted to publish it this year, but I told them no way. <laughs> There's no way I can finish it on time. Um, so I think next year. And it was supposed to be, initially it was supposed to be for young readers. And then uh, I think now it turned out to be more for preteens because there's just so much in church history that if I kept it too simple, um, I would have to miss too many important things. So it's more for preteens i think but hopefully other kids will like it too and uh, but then my series goes on so this time i'm trying somebody who's really unknown here in the in the western world but at least um he's a uh a, a, a man he was born in nigeria and um and he and I don't know, I might mispronounce his name, so, but <laughs> Bian Kato, the last name Kato, and he, um, he was, I, I think he was a Gresham Machen of Africa. This is my definition of him. <laughs> I haven't heard anybody else giving this definition, so maybe, maybe I'm mistaken, but he, um, at a time when Africa was becoming independent and um, the nation, the various nations were declaring independence and they were rediscovering their, uh, their Africanness and their traditions. And um, he provided a balance, I think, by saying, you know, don't go too far, don't, don't go to an extreme of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And I was like, yes, there were mistaken made by, um, I mean, even missionaries didn't always act correctly. Some, you know, the majority did. I think the majority of missionaries went for the right reasons and they really went for um, the love of Christ, but some of them didn't behave well, or, or they, uh, some of them didn't make enough of an effort to include the African cultures in it. So there, there's a lot that they could have done better, yes. But then the gospel, you don't throw away the gospel, he said, you know, and he said something that really impressed me because he said, you know, the gospel is not is something that was revealed, right? So the, the Greeks didn't have it, the Jews didn't have it, the Americans didn't have it, the Africans didn't have it, because it's about the person, you know, Jesus Christ. So that really impressed me. And basically, I think that's in the nutshell what he was teaching. Um, and he was also teaching the importance of scriptures, you know, being faithful to the scriptures. And, um, and he didn't live very long, so that's another one. He died young, so there's not much to say, but <laughs> I think that's enough. I found enough to, uh, to do it, and, and it's amazing because I got to talk, uh, or not talk much, but to send the manuscript to his son, oh. so his son read it, and so I feel better. <laughs> I feel like, okay, 
at least I didn't say anything wrong about his life. But yeah, I'm very excited about this. Yeah, I think it's very important. And it's important for our children also to see because now the majority of Christians are in Africa and Asia. <laughs> so um, it's important for them to be aware of this. Yeah, I think that's something just church history in general too reminds us that like you were saying, the gospel is about Jesus Christ. And so right. there's, there's a distinction between a cultural outworking of, of right. the church and the church, right? The, yes. the body of Christ. Yeah. I, I, uh, I'm a member of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, which uh -huh. was founded by Gresham Machen. So mm -hmm. that um, calling him the Gresham <laughs> Machen of Africa, I'm like, oh, I'm going to need to get this book for sure. <laughs> well, that's my my impression. Yes, but, yeah. Well, yeah, but what you said is really true because um, you know what I was saying about missionaries sometimes not behaving correctly. Uh, sometimes you know they didn't mean any harm but it, besides telling people to follow the gospel they said they said uh, um uh, you have to dress this way and you have to sing this way and uh, you know play this kind of music and and do this and that you know basically you have to become western in order to be a christian and so uh, it, it's important because then of course after Many Africans said, no, this is not right. You know, we don't have to. But then again, like uh, saying, don't throw the baby out with the bad water. You can throw away all the Western uh, outside, uh, you know, what's not important. But you, you have to keep the gospel the way it is. It's an announcement that came from God. It's not something that any man invented and you just cannot change. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Definitely. <laughs> well, you have had this wonderful opportunity to read about so many amazing men and women <laughs> over the years. I was wondering if you could tell us, maybe pick one man and one woman or just one or two people that have especially struck you or that you really enjoyed learning about and mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about them and why you were fascinated by them. Yeah. Well, for men, uh, I think I mentioned already two of my favorites because usually the one, the, the last one is always my favorite. But yeah, uh, I, I really had a, a lot of fun uh, studying about Biancato and uh, um, and Anselm. No, sorry, um, Irenaeus. Uh, Irenaeus was also one of my favorites because of what he wrote. I, I just love what he wrote and. You know, sometimes we don't know, but what these people wrote, are, it's not as uh, um, difficult to read as we imagine. It depends. John Owen can be difficult. <laughs> uh, actually, I didn't find it as difficult as other people found it because uh, I am Italian. So we have long sentences in Italy. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and he has long, long sentences. But anyway, um, yeah, those two. Anselm was also fun to write about. I really enjoyed writing about him. Um, sometimes we only know little bits of pieces about these people. Anselm, if we know anything about him, we know that he was, uh, we either know him for the um for the Osomo, you know uh why why did the god become man um or we know him for his uh, struggle against uh, the king of england <laughs> but we don't know everything and i found it fascinating to just see his life just how he lived and he was so um, down to earth and so simple and just reading about him I, I, I really enjoyed it um, his everyday struggles and uh, I think on the cover I have Anselm uh, um, chasing away hunters that wanted to kill a hare <laughs> I thought oh this is so nice children will like it so much 
because I think when we, you know, at my age, we look back. I don't know if we want to share anything. <laughs> I was talking to a couple at church just a few weeks ago, and I said, you know, there's so many books written by young mothers with so many tips how to raise young kids, you know, lots of uh, very good suggestions. There's nothing from people our age. <laughs> One of the, the, the other mothers said, yeah, if, if we ever wrote a book, it would be a very short book <laughs> that would say, trust God. <laughs> so basically that's, uh, you know, because kids grow, now, grow up and then you, you don't know, you know, in some cases, uh, you see some good fruits. In some cases, it's like, oh, where did that, my teaching go? Um, we are all different. People are different, and uh, God works differently in everybody's life. So, but I think you, in your question, you said uh, what was helping the homeschool day run smoothly. And I think with us, it was more that we were pretty relaxed about it. Um, one thing that helped me, when I was traveling, we used different, uh, different books and different, uh, we were in touch with different groups. But when we came to America, um, I homeschooled my kids through the school system, the public school system because it was very convenient. And uh, I, I, I could still buy my own books and do other things, but uh, every two weeks I would report uh, what they did. And then they would give me, they, they gave me a program to follow. And their program is very, very easy. <laughs> the public schools, you know, the, the program is very easy compared to what we were used to. But that was great for me because I said, okay, this is all they're expecting. We actually did all the tests that we were supposed to do the work for two weeks. We did it in one day. <laughs> then we had the rest of the time just to explore what we liked. And that kind of helped me to realize because I think, I, I don't know if I'm the only one, um, I, I'm, I tend to be a perfectionist. I have to always, uh, uh, well, God helps me very much not to be, <laughs> not me down enough. But um, yeah, but, you know, I was always trying to do more, to do more with my kids. And then when I realized, oh, this is all they want. <laughs> and then, then we had fun and my kids still look back and they remember all the fun things we did, the books we read together, we visited different places and all the things you cannot do in a school. And um, I think that's what made it run smoothly. You know, just have fun and don't, don't try too hard. And, uh, but I don't know if it works for everybody. I know some parents might have different goals our goals was just to get them to learn but to, mostly to enjoy i i wanted them to enjoy learning because that's something if you enjoy learning then you grow up and you, you continue to learn and if you don't enjoy it you can learn a lot and then it's easy to forget so i forgot the title so the books i just read so <laughs> Yeah, I think so often we put so much stress on ourselves as homeschool moms, like we've got to do everything right and get make sure we don't miss anything with our kids and we've taught them yeah. everything they need to, to learn. And well, one, that's impossible. Um, and two, it, it like you were saying, if we can just give them a love for learning and teach yeah. them how to learn, you know, it doesn't matter if they don't actually know every single yeah. thing in the whole world. They'll always be learning the rest of their life. I think it's the excitement. I think even if you're a public school teacher, if you're excited, you know, your kids will be excited. But I inherited some of this from my parents. They were both teachers and um, they were both very excited about what we were, they were teaching. My father taught math and, uh, in school and then he taught me how 
to add and subtract and multiply when I was really young. And this was not, homeschooler was not even around at that time. But he, we had tiles on our walls in the kitchen and he put little stickers um, on the tiles of, uh, I think it was like Mickey Mouse characters or something. And doing that, you know, we would do a square and he taught me how to multiply by doing that, you know, three by four and you count the squares and I didn't even know what I was doing, but I learned that way. And he was so excited if I, if I did it right. And, and we would just do that at the kitchen table because it was on the kitchen tiles. And I still remember that. Yeah. So I, I think what they taught me was good because I, I'm still learning. I still love learning. So. Yes. And now you get to share what you're learning with us <laughs> in your books. Yes. <laughs> Well, this has been such a wonderful conversation. Thank you for chatting today. Can you tell people where they can find you around the internet? Okay, so, um, well, if you go to Reformation Heritage Books, you can find most of my books there. And then I have a uh, website, but it's uh, not updated. So maybe this will, uh, <laughs> will inspire me to update it. Um, and it's simonetta-car.com because uh, Simonetta car without the little dash was already taken. <laughs> um, and then uh, how I'm on Facebook, Twitter, different things. I will have the links to all of those things over in the show notes for this episode at humilityanddoxology.com. So I will chat with you later. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening in on this week's homeschool conversation. For show notes and links to all the resources we discussed, head to humilityanddoxology.com slash homeschool dash conversations. And if these episodes are an encouragement to you, would you take a moment to leave a rating and review and to share it with your friends? I am so thankful that you are here on this adventure with me. Let's repent of our constant striving, relish the joy of learning, and rest in the work of Christ on our behalf. Stand fast, my friends.